Well, hey, Voice Church, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're watching this, if you're watching this live, good morning. Uh, hey, as I was coming in today, uh, I was listening to this teaching about uh, keeping our heart open. And I was talking about this idea that when you go through painful seasons or seasons of fear or hurt or anger or uncertainty, we can kind of close up uh, our hearts. And it was challenging us to keep our hearts open. And I thought about that more, more and more. <laughs> Gosh, I thought about that more and more uh, after the teaching was over, and I was thinking about when our hearts are closed uh, off from people, from God, it seems like that's the seedbed for a lot of weird stuff to grow in our hearts. We start to do this because, of, and honestly, for good reason, because they hurt me, or there's so much uncertainty, or I'm afraid about all this stuff happening, or whatever, you can close off, and then that's where cynicism and bitterness and uh, closed-mindedness and selfishness and self-centeredness, not like a... Like, you're just centered on yourself. You're only thinking about yourself. And all that stuff kind of happens when you're closed off. And when you open up, your heart, that's when love and joy and peace and relationship happens. And what's so interesting about that is the times when you least uh, want community are oftentimes the, the times when you most need community. The times where you want to isolate, you don't want to be around people, are the times you most need to be uh, around uh, people. So I just want to challenge you. If you find in this season, uh, it's been a long season, uh, where you were of uncertainty and fear and all that kind of division, if you find your heart closing off from people, uh, from God, I want to challenge you to open your heart uh, again. And I think one of the easiest first steps, if you're wondering where do I even start with that, I think an easy first step is, is gratitude. Even a few days ago, two days ago, I was uh, driving and I felt cynicism and frustration, almost like a woe is me kind of martyrdom kind of spirit rise up in me. And I literally had to pull off on the side of the road. I pulled off on Culver. Uh, if you live near me, you might have seen my car. It's kind of hard to miss. It pulled off on the side of the road. And I was literally typing out. I felt like my heart was closing off. And I'm like, I don't like this. So I took some time, sat there for like 10 minutes, and just wrote out dozens of things that I'm grateful for. Uh, and it changed the environment of my heart. I felt it being more opened up to God. And so if you find your heart uh, closed off, I want to challenge you, maybe take some time just to start listing off things that you're grateful for. And it'll start off with the big ones, like, you know, thankful I get to live where I live and I'm healthy. And then you start to be thankful for, like, I'm thankful I have 10 toes. I'm thankful that uh, I can walk straight. I'm thankful. You know, start thinking about all these, like, interesting little things that would be very different if... Um, you know, very easily. So, uh, hey, we're in a series right now uh, called Hello, My Name is Jesus. If you're new to the church, uh, we are going through the Gospel of Luke. And the reason why is because there's so much misconception around who this guy Jesus is. And like we're going to talk about here, we can easily add man-made uh, kind of structure around what the Bible says. And there's some things that we're like, oh, the Bible says this, but actually it doesn't. Uh, we say it. But it's not actually scripture. We've added to it. And so we want to go through and allow Jesus to reintroduce himself. So we're going to take a couple passages. Uh, this first one is a, is a decent-sized chunk, and but it's a very simple story. I think it's a very appro uh, appropriate story for us where our church is at right now, uh, where our world is at right now. So it says this in Luke chapter 13, uh, verse 10. It says this, One Sabbath day, one Sabbath day as Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double, so bent over for 18 years, and was unable to stand up straight. 
When Jesus saw her in the middle of church, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord replied, Jesus replied, You hypocrites, each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? This shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. So here's almost a highlight. You got a kind of a meta narrative of the story. But Jesus was in the synagogue preaching a similar situation to this. And there's this woman there who had been bent over for 18 years. Think about that. Nearly two decades, she is totally bent over. Any of you guys that have maybe thrown out your back, right? <laughs> and you were like hunched over for like a, a day or two or three days. I know Mike threw out his back earlier this year and he was out for I think like two or three days. He was like literally just walking around kind of like this. Can you imagine 18 years like that? I, I looked at like what was happening in 2003, which first of all, I can't believe 2003 was 18 years ago. Not super excited about that. Uh, I feel like 2003 was just a few years ago, but 2003 is when like Greta Thunberg was, alive, uh, was born. So this, for in Greta Thunberg's entire life, this woman was hunched over. Uh, the top song of the year was actually Hey Ya by Outkast. Can you remember that song? <laughs> so this, this lady has been hunched over a Hey Ya amount of time. All right, so that's, that's, a long, that's a long time. And Jesus is preaching in church, and he sees this woman hunched over, and he stops. In the middle of the service, he, in the middle of his teaching, he stops. He couldn't even get through his sermon. Why? Compassion. Compassion. Because people are important. People are more important than services. That humans are more important than productions. And the reality is that Jesus created her. Jesus cares about her. And for us as human beings, we're called to do the very same thing. And I know that sounds like a neat little bumper sticker and a Sunday school lesson. And for those of you guys that are normally part of church, you're like, well, yeah, people are important. Jesus loves people. But it seems like the longer people are in, ch in church or around religious things, the harder it seems to act loving. And Christ-like. So it says, we're called to do the same thing. Jesus acted as if people were more important than anything else. And we're called to live the same way. As we read scripture, it's so important while we're, do, we're doing this with the Gospel of Luke, but as we read scripture and we see Jesus do things, we need to be asking ourselves, do I do that? When Jesus acts a certain way, do I do that too? And if not, why not? Do I prioritize? So Jesus prioritized the, the church as a place of prayer more than anything else. Do I do that? Jesus would stop his to-do list, his responsibilities to take care of people in this situation. Do I do that? Do I do that? And if not, why not? 
a gal named Beth Felker Jones reading her book called Practicing Christian Doctrine. It's, it's a book on theology, and what she says, uh, I, I love this, this quote. It's in the first few chapters of the book. Because studying theology can make you prideful, actually, which is so ironic. And when you study theology, it should make you more like Christ, but actually it can make you more cocky. And she says this, the discipline of theology is not first about gaining information. The discipline of theology is not first about building a system of knowledge, but it's about discipleship. Discipleship is this kind of your $5 word of the day, and it, it, it can mean a lot of different things. Discipleship is not some 10-week small group course. Discipleship is a slow process, like we talked about last week, called sanctification. Discipleship is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Right? As a disciple, the root word of disciple is discipline. So in other words, in order to be shaped into the image of Christ is going to be taking the discipline in moments to go, I want to do this, but Jesus is compelling me to do this. It's going to take discipline to reshape your character in that image. That, that process is discipleship. The end goal of discipleship is not to be a faithful church attendee. The, the goal of discipleship is to do what Jesus would do if Jesus were you, living in your shoes. So she says the discipline of theology is not first about gaining information or building a system of knowledge. It's about discipleship. We learn to speak and think well about God so that we can be more faithful followers of Jesus. So when people see you, they say, I know what Jesus is like. When they read the scripture, they can say, that looks just like what my Christian friends are like. That's the whole point. So Jesus stops church to engage with this tormented woman. He heals her. Can you imagine this? How miraculous that would be? How beautiful it would be? Two decades of pain, of ridicule, of embarrassment. Can you imagine what it was like to be this lady? And I know sometimes I'm, I'm taking a long time to go through this because I think sometimes you read scriptures like, oh, this lady was tormented for 18 years, with, hunched over like, oh, yeah, I get that. Taka, go on to the good point. No, the good point is that in order for us to, to understand the joy and the freedom on the other side, we have to sit in the pain for a little bit. We have to understand what is it like to actually be in that situation. And if you're anything like me, I have a hard time with empathy, right? So I have to sit in this for a moment. What would it be like to be this woman? Two, two decades of kids walking by and either mocking her, whispering, asking mom and dad, why is she like that? Going to the other side of the road, Think about that. Think about the mental list of stuff that she wanted to do. As she was healed and started to stand up straight, I imagine that she was thinking about, now I can reach stuff on the top shelf. Now I can look at people in the eye and not from down here. And there's so many things now that she can do. Again, if you've ever thrown out your back, even the simplest thing like going to the bathroom is complicated right? <laughs> so she can now do all these things. She's restored. Not only her back, it's so much bigger than that. Jesus restored her life. If this was on YouTube in the day, it would go viral. It'd be the kind of story that'd be on a late night TV show as the kind of story we, we need right now. The feel-good story of the day. It would take over the Bernie meme as like the most important thing of that day. Why? Why? Because any human being that would be watching this happen would say, this is a good thing. This is a beautiful thing. This is an amazing thing. It'd be duh to celebrate it. 
But then the very next verse, it says the synagogue leader was angry. I want us to see this juxtaposition of an obviously good thing happening, but where the religious leader is mad. Why? The Bible says he's indignant. Why? Because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. You understand something, though? It's not against the Bible. It's not against God's law for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath. It's against man-made laws. So God would give laws, Ten Commandments in this case. And then the Pharisees or religious leaders would add hundreds of laws on top of God's laws. Jesus broke one of those. See, in the very beginning, God said to honor the Sabbath, to keep it holy. What that means is once a week, is right after he rescued Israel from Egypt, and he said, hey guys, everyone else you'll meet, every other culture you're going to meet is going to work seven days, and then seven days, and then seven days, and they're going to die. They're going to grind and hustle every single day to get more and more and more. I'm going to ask that you take one out of every seven days to rest, to recharge, to spend time on your relationships, to stop focusing on doing and focus on being. Who are you becoming? Focus on your spiritual life. Focus on the the most important things once every seven days. Work isn't wrong. Work isn't sin. The point of Sabbath is not a, a, a break from the last seven days of of this like hellish work. The point of Sabbath is to rest up so you can go into the next six days of work refreshed and restored because there's purpose in that next six days, but there's purpose in the rest too. This was a time for freedom. Sabbath was for a time of doing good. It was never meant to be this restrictive thing. It was supposed to be a blessing thing. So what happens? The religious leaders added hundreds of laws on top of that said you could do this on the Sabbath. You couldn't do this. You can untie, but you can't do this. You can't run, you know, to this day, you can't run a coffee maker on the Sabbath in Israel, right? So God's laws, and this is the big difference, God's laws were about nurturing a healthy soul. That was the whole point. If you look at the Ten Commandments, it was all about health as a culture, health as an individual. It wasn't about being a big sheriff in the sky catching you doing wrong. It was about health. Man-made additions become a burden that weighs down the soul. This is a big difference. Again, God's laws bring a healthy soul. They nurture a healthy soul. Man-made additions to the law weighs you down and weighs down your soul, becomes a burden. So here's the difference. When we're living God's way, when we're following God's word, when we are following God's guidance, it should feel almost like a loving gardener nurturing the garden of our soul. But then when man adds, adds rules, and I do it, you do it, we all tend to add rules and system to God's rules, what happens is those result many times in the absence of God's character. And this is so interesting to me, is that we can so out of a spirit of religion in the negative sense, can create these rules on top of God's freedom create new scaffolding that actually makes someone have less joy, less peace, less love. What ends up happening many times is when we follow man-made rules with good intentions, but man-made rules, we're more likely to become an angry person than a loving one. We're more likely to be an anxious person than one filled with peace. We're more likely to be a self-centered person 
than a person with open arms. We're more likely to shut out the immigrant than welcome them in. Oddly enough, the more we follow man-made religiosity, actually we have a diminished love for people, not a heightened love for people. We focus on the letter of the law. We miss the heart of the law. That's what's happening here. That's what this religious leader is doing. He's so focused on the fact that Jesus broke a man-made rule that he can't even celebrate a woman's life being changed. How unhuman is that? So Jesus kind of claps back. He says that even you Pharisees, even you religious leaders, you work on the Sabbath. Come on, man. Even you work on the Sabbath. You untie your cattle, your oxen, you lead them to water. In other words, you, you feed your livestock. If one falls into a ditch, you take care of it. And he's saying, are animals more important than people? So listen, be careful. Be careful. Anytime your relationship with God condones mistreating people, Anytime your relationship with God, your, what you believe God is saying, mistreats people, that should raise a flag of maybe this is out of line. Maybe this is a man-made law and not God's law. And then he goes on in, in verse 16, he says, This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? And I love that he says daughter of Abraham. What he's saying is, come on, man. She's your sister in God. Have you forgotten that she's a fellow human? She's not an issue. She's not a policy problem. She's a human. She's your sister in God. And I think a lot of times we can condone mistreating groups of people. And there's a ton of topics we can go on that uh, with that. Because they're no longer people to be loved, they are issues to be solved, policies to be voted on. Then pick your group of people. They're people. They're brothers and sisters. They matter to God just as much as you do. They may look a little different. They may speak a little different language. They may believe some different things, but they're just as valuable as you are. You will never meet someone that Jesus didn't die for. That's what he's saying here. Daughter of Abraham. In other words, this is your sister. They were all humiliated. And then he just goes on. Drops it. He goes on. And then he goes on this last passage. And actually, this is what we're going to uh, end with. I, I don't want to pack too much into this because I wanted you to wrestle with them. We'll have some questions that will hopefully um, disturb you a little bit at the end I want you to wrestle with. Okay, so the next uh, couple verses says this. Then Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It is like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden. It grows and becomes a tree, and the birds make its nest in its branches. You ever seen a mustard seed? Just Google it. A mustard seed is like tinier than a grain of sand, right? It's tiny, tiny, tiny. But this thing grows up to be like this, Jesus says, tree. It's almost like a bush tree thing. It's, it's actually pretty weird looking. It's pretty big. Um, but he says that it starts out tiny, but it grows to the point where it becomes almost huge and it creates a safe place and it creates a home for birds. Jesus isn't giving some sort of like nature lesson. He's talking about this is what the church is supposed to be. It may start small, but don't despise the day of small beginnings. Like I don't, I'm not concerned about the size of our church right now. I know what we're becoming. 
And Jesus talks about how this tiny mustard seed provides safety and shelter and a home for people. And a bird may fly away and go do its own thing, but it knows it can always come back and find home. And whether you're watching this right now and maybe you haven't been to church for a while, but I hope you know that you can always come back. That voice or wherever church you are a part of around the world will always be a safe place for you. So we as a church, we as individuals are called to create safe places for people. Homes for people that feel like they're homeless. Next verse, verse 20, he also said, what else is the kingdom of God like? It's like the yeast a woman uses in making bread. Even though she puts only a little yeast in the flour, it permeates every part of the dough. So I looked it up, how much yeast you put in a pound of dough. And it's one teaspoon. One teaspoon, just a little bit of yeast permeates the entire thing of dough. What he's saying is, a little bit of the kingdom of God is meant to impact the whole. Wherever the kingdom of God goes, wherever you go, wherever I go, we're not there for no reason. I know it's a double negative, but we're there for a reason, right? We're there to impact the culture, that the whole environment should be changed because we are there. Just like a pound of dough is forever different because of a little bit of yeast. So, God has you at your workplace, at your job site, in your family for a reason. So don't be passive about it. You may be in a situation where there's hurt in your family right now, or there's anger, or there's division. You're there for a reason. And you may feel like, man, I'm just a, a small piece of this big, a little bit of yeast can make a huge difference. It doesn't take much. Wherever you're at, Make an impact. Be active. Be intentional. Ask God, what do you want to do through me? What do you want to speak through me? How do you want to change the environment through me? This is what we're called to do as a church. To provide safety and home for people. And to impact a larger environment God has us in. So here's three questions I want you to think about as we close. First one is this, from the first part. What spiritual disciplines do you have in place to nurture your relationship with God? What spiritual disciplines do you have in place to nurture your relationship with God? Amy, go and talk. I, I, I feel like I'm so distant from God, right? I feel like God is a million miles away. Okay. How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Are you praying? It's almost like you're, I'm, I'm, I'm like, guys, my plant keeps on dying. Are you feeding it? Are you watering it? No, I got it stuck in the closet. I never water it. But I don't know why it keeps on dying. It's the same thing. I don't know why I'm not growing spiritually. I mean, I don't pray. I don't read the Bible. I'm, I don't ever, I'm not generous in my finances. I'm not in Christian community. But I don't know why I'm not doing good spiritually. It's the same thing. So what spiritual disciplines do you have in place to nurture a relationship with God? If you need help to kind of determine what those could be, reach out to your small group leader, reach out to me, reach out, just email us, tweet us, whatever. We'll, we'd love to help you figure out what are some simple spiritual disciplines you can put in place. Again, not restrictive, not man-made, but God-given environments help nurture your soul. Spiritual disciplines are for freedom and joy in the character of God to be de developed in you, right? So one, what spiritual disciplines do you have in place to nurture your relationship with God? Two, 
How are you creating safety and shelter for those in need? How are you creating safety and shelter for those in need? I'm not talking about building physical homes, but that wouldn't be a bad thing. I'm talking about how are you creating safe places? Because now more than ever, online or in person, it seems like there's fewer and fewer truly safe places. So how are you using your influence to create safe places? Not places where everyone agrees, but places where it's okay to disagree without getting canceled. We can disagree in love. That someone can come in having a great day, someone can come in having a really hard day, and it's safe. How are you creating safety and shelter for those in need? And number three, how could God use you to impact the environment he has placed you in? How could God use you to impact the environment he has placed you in? You don't need your master's degree. You don't need a divinity degree to do this. How can God use you to impact the environment he has placed you in? He has you in an environment for a reason. And God can use you in ways that he can never use me in your family, in your workplace, in your group of friends, in your neighborhood. There's a reason why you're there. God wants to use you. There's value in the church gathered, either in person or virtual, in moments like this. But the church is at its greatest and its most impactful when we're the church scattered throughout the week. Because God sends us out as missionaries. That's why we pray at the end of every service the way we do. So let me pray for us. And then we're going to sing a song together to close on. I want you to really process these. But again, if there's anything we can do as a church, I know I say this over and over again, but it may hit a little different today depending on where you're at. If you ever need anything, if you need anything, please reach out. I don't care if you've never been to the church. I don't care if you just happen to stumble on this video on social media. If you need someone to talk to, if you need someone to pray with you, reach out. I don't care if you used to come to church, but you stopped going to church. If you need support, reach out. We are here for you. All right, let me pray for you, and then we'll sing this one last song together, okay? God, I just thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your faithfulness. God, I thank you for your patience. God, in that story we went through today, I pray we'd be more like Jesus, that we would see people over problems, over policies. God, I pray we want to stop the work we're doing, the to-do list, to engage with people, to love the people you put in our path, God. I pray that you wouldn't allow us to become like the religious leader who is so focused on temporary things that he missed the eternal ones. He was so focused on man-made stuff that he missed the God stuff. God, help us as, as followers of you to not be so focused on doing church stuff that we forget to be the church, God. Would you send us to be the church, to represent you well? God, would you empower us supernaturally so when people see us, they see your character. So when people see the way we act, they want to serve you. And I pray for all my friends listening to this right now. Wherever they are at spiritually right now, God, I pray they would move one step closer to you. Their heart would move one step closer to you. God, would you give them courage and boldness to make a difference wherever they go. To have bigger aspirations than to just be a good person, but I pray they'd be the voice of God wherever they go. 
Would you speak through them, God? We open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and sing this together.